This season, turn it up to 10. Sort of like a bad habit, we gon' do it again. Ready or not, we're gonna tie up some ends. Go tell a 36, try to grab other friends. We're back like we never left. On track like a treble clef. Skip a beat on the seventh rest. Bring feast, we don't pass them over. We got the first fruits, no way to show us. Can't live on that bread alone. Every word of God's mouth will fuel me on. That's scripture, that's Christ alone. That's grace alone, that's faith alone. All glory to God, cause that's his alone. Since the land's been slain, we can each belong. The Lord is my strength, my peace, and my song. Get our it all down at the feet of his throne. This yoke is easy, this burns light. Even with a loud mouth trying to eat at the mic. Even if we down south, the humidity spike. Fails torn in two, so we could be alright. It's all grace till the half goes off. Heretics better run till the top blows off. Got them all stood still like a jaw full of Botox. Time to bring them down like a jaw on a blow pop. Don't stop, they're in need of it though. Through grace by faith, they could easily grow. New wave, new age, new way to see bro. Now one truth, life, one way to his throne. It's a year of the feast, we gon' grow some Time to put some meat on the bones Gotta put the milk down, son, it's time to leave home I'm just saying there's a time in the season You gotta be a Berean If you just hear and believe it, you could be walking with demons It could be rendering season All the things that go to God, that's a little like treason Wait, welcome back, my friends Did you ever really think we could pass the 10? Our stock's up, we about to trend Cause the whole 36 wanna rap again Wait, sounds too good to be true Like we're bending candy land, ain't no ladders, just shoot We hold true, if it's older than the canon Best believe it's understanding, if it's not, it ain't proof like sacred name of the two house frame ears start to tickle then you fill it in the blanks you better not you be better off not trying to hassle hop you can take it to the bank this night ready he's about to go off put the ring on your finger from the cracker jack box it's hide and seek let's see if you can find out all the little messages you hit before the timeout ever seen a scholar with a blue belt i have he's about to make your food melt the loud one and he strikes again but don't let him close range he gonna bite your friends so relax gotta still in control he knows every care every village you hold he knows every hair every need for your soul Nothing new round here, this story's been told I bet you feel weak and your life is in tatters With bruised feet, your body is battered You can't reach, trying to climb up that ladder Sit back and hold fast to Messiah Matters It is Wednesday, December 20th, 2023. This is Messiah Matters number 454. Drinking Twin Farms Eggnog, not a sponsor yet. My name is Caleb Hegg. <laughs> These go to 11. Rob Banoff. Did you hear, did you, did you catch Nigel in there? At the very end. It's in there. It's in there. It's in there. It's in there. Yep. Somebody said, uh, somebody said they missed the sacks. You just didn't wait long enough. It's in there. It is in there. All right. I put up the wrong, uh, producer credit. Sorry. Uh, my bad. Oh, well. Uh, season 11, everybody. Welcome. And welcome to everybody in the chat room. Uh, we're going to have fun today. We are going to have fun. As today. always. As always. Is it going to be a good show? Predictions? I don't know. Season opener? Probably not. But we're going to try. Um, yeah, so we got a new art. We got a new song. So everybody wanted the old the old song to remain. 
And so I obliged. I put the old song lyrics in there, reworked them a little bit. And then uh, if you want to see the lyrics for the, uh, the the new part of season 11, you can go to uh, messiahmatters.com. Click on the show. Don't click anything in the drop down. Just click on the show and you'll be able to see the lyrics there from our good friend, Ben. And uh, thank you, Ben, for the work on that. I sent him over um, some of the things that uh, I really enjoyed about season 10. Rabbinic Candyland was in there. Um, what was another one? Oh, uh, <laughs> yeah, put a ring on uh, from a Cracker, that, that Jack, cracker box. Jack box. Yeah, that was a good one. Uh, and then there was also, this isn't, uh, this isn't Indiana jo- an Indiana Jones adventure. Awesome. Um, yeah. So, and then he put in a little something special for me too at the very end, which was, I, for those who don't know, Ben, uh, it's Ben cryptic. is, one, it's cryptic. It's cryptic. Ben is one of my coaches, by the way, at uh, jujitsu. And so he has a lot of fun, uh, completely slaughtering me on a daily basis. Anyway, not the point. So thank you to Ben for the uh, wonderful lyrics and for another great season opener. I don't think we're going to be able to do anything uh, above that next next year, but you know who knows? Maybe we'll do, maybe we finally made it so that my job is easier. I don't have to write something every single every single every single season. I will say this though: if you look back at the progression of our intros, they have, in my opinion, gotten better and better each year. I mean, we're hitting on all cylinders right now. All right, uh, some things haven't changed with the uh, new season. Chegatorresource dot com is c h e g g resource dot com. That is the email address you can send stuff to, uh, 253-465-3205. You won't talk to us. You just talk to an answering machine. Tell us how much you love us, hate us, enjoy us, <laughs> hey, don't enjoy us, <laughs> whatever. You can tell us whatever you want. We should uh, call it the question machine because it question doesn't actually machine. give you answers. That we, The show is the answer machine. Yes, the question machine the <laughs> is ready and waiting for you on this season uh, 11 opener. I, did I say season 12? I don't know. I'm all discombobulated. Anyway, uh, as I've already said, go to messiahmatters.com. You can find uh, all past shows, all past seasons, everything. Listen to how horrible everything was before uh, show 200 and uh, even some horrible ones after that. Here's the thing. Are you ready? They weren't horrible, man. Here's the thing that I just realized. We've done more shows as Messiah Matters than we did as the Robin Caleb show. Yeah, we did 200, was it? We did 200. We did 199, I think. Anyway, not the point. Um, finally, last but, sir, well, almost last but not least, TorahResource.com. Go to TorahResource.com. This show is produced by TorahResource.com. Find all sorts of stuff. Actually, I just looked this morning. The new uh, festival schedule is up for 2024. Thank you, Mike, for doing that. So if you would like uh, to uh, request all of your time off, uh, that you need uh, for Shabbats on twenty in twenty twenty four. Go to Torah Resource. It is right there. I don't even think you have to scroll unless you're on a phone. Uh, you can download it in PDF format, and then you can uh, request all the Shabbats off if you so desire. Finally, don't forget to subscribe to this YouTube channel. It really does help us. I know it sounds weird, but it does help us. And if you're already subscribed, go ahead and give this video a thumbs up. Okay. What do you want to do, man? You want to you want to reflect back at some of the <laughs> the funny, Lakeisha, my wife last night, she was like, so do you have like a database of uh, stuff so that you don't keep talking about the same things over and over again? I was like, no, that's all we do. We got like five subjects. So we just keep going back to them, but people don't notice or they do and they just don't care. Um, we have some interesting stuff today, so it'll be good. All right. Uh, let's just check the chat room yeah, real it, quick. It works. I mean, that's something I've learned is that it doesn't work. The, the nature of of what I what I believe is our core message is a it's really it's not an infinite amount of content it's very fixed content I mean we're just talking about what the scriptures teach let, but, let, let's do this but the context that the world's context that we're in keeps shifting and and waves of this and waves of this and whispers of this keep coming almost in cyclical, like an El Nino kind of thing. Like pretty soon there's going to be a sacred name sweep again, or there's going to be a, you know, Hebrew word so, picture sweep again. Or So for the opener of season 11, tell me, what do you think the core message is of 
assignment. I, I got a new one. I got a new way to describe the core, our core message, but go ahead. Well, off the top of my head, being the, the Gamatria Midrash person I am, yes. uh, I'd say uh, Revelation 11. This is Babylon. New. Babylon is fallen. That's it. That's the core message. Yeah, Babylon has fallen. <laughs> I get that. Okay. And we're just we're we're just back to the scriptures, you know. In other words, the as the as the institutions of the world that people have depended on and relied upon, um, and imagined as being like stable in the long term, that as those collapse, people have a crisis of meaning and 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 their compass of what what they thought was north it starts spinning and so you know, i think you know that our voice lord willing will just be one of the many that are loud and clear pointing people back to the truth of the word of god and and to covenantal belonging as the true coordinates of our souls of the redeemed is 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 found within the Abrahamic covenant. And that's where blessing is. And, um, and that's how we understand the gospel accurately. So um, I, I, so I want to, I want to give you my definition, but I'm going to do that after I respond to, to what you said, because I think like the, the way that, uh, like is Babylon, I understand what you say, what you're saying, Babylon has fallen. I, I agree with you on that. However, like, I think that Babylon continues to grab our generation in, in many ways. And, so last night, my wife and I were talking about uh, some articles that we were reading on the Daily Wire and, and the polls that they've done that they're looking at that are things like, you know, uh, do you support Israel or, 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 you know, or Gaza? And they found that um, the younger the person is, the more apt they are to support Gaza. And then they asked, then they got into more uh, just, uh, you know, uh, broader questions about, you know, um, do you, do you think that, uh, you know, whiteness is a problem, <laughs> like, you know, these kind of things. And what they found was, is that younger generation, the way, the reason that they're justifying, uh, the reason that they're justifying, uh, essentially genocide, like they want to see the genocide of the Jews. And the reason that they're able to justify that is because they see whiteness as coming in and colonializing everything. They're taking people's land, you know, white people are taking people's lands and they're doing all these horrible things and they equate the same thing with the Jews. And so the younger the, the general, you know, the younger the person is, the more apt they are to say they want to see that not just that they want to see Gaza free or something like that, but rather that they actually want to see the genocide of the Jews. And what I said to my wife last night was, well, we shouldn't be surprised by that, though. And the reason why is because throughout history, Satan and the evil that is, you know, the evil side of the war, of the spiritual war, has continually wanted the destruction of the Jewish people. And so if you don't have the rock, if you don't have God and the Bible as the foundation of your faith, if you don't find morality there in the word of God, then where do you find it? Well, you don't find it. And so we shouldn't be surprised that they have, if you're not part of the light, you're part of the darkness. And if you're part of the darkness, what are you inevitably going to want? The genocide of the Jews. So I, I mean, I agree with you. I, I think that- uh, I, I realize I misspoke though. It's it's Revelation eighteen that is Babylon is fallen. Uh, the eleven one that I had in mind, but my brain did a skip. Is it's the two witnesses, the two lampstands, and the two olive trees, which I take as kind of like two of the same thing. It's like one one. It's like a, a, it's you know like when Pharaoh has the dream, he has two different dreams. He has a dream of the cattle, and then the dreams of the. Right. Of the uh, and and Joseph says the dream, the dreams are the same. They're one. Right. They're one in the same dream. And the fact that there's that it was repeated means the matter is sure. And so I was just my play. Again, this is just midrashic play. I'm not a prophet, <laughs> but the one one of eleven is like two witnesses, right? It's two olive trees, which is just one. It's just an olive tree, but it's just reaffirmed image that's what the two why it's two uh, and then the lampstand the double lampstand but the idea of the clarity of the message going out is 
is core there. So here's here's anyway here's here's what I think Messiah Matters core message is. This is this is at least my side of the core message, and I think that we're united on this. My belief and my message is that the gospel is covenant inclusion. It is covenant membership, and so and that is good news because because it reflects the character of God. Right. There's and, there's no good news without God's character being revealed. Right. And so both Jew and Gentile being coming into a new covenant relationship with God through Christ. Now, when I say new covenant, I see the new covenant as holding all covenants together. And it being written on the heart. It's not it's not simply that we do the covenants and we're good, but rather that we have a loving relationship with God through all the covenants, and therefore the Torah is written on our heart, and Israel as a nation at one point will come to be a part of this new covenant. And we will be able to say— I think that's why Matthew begins. The beginning of the New Testament is Jesus, the son of David, son of Abraham. Right. What's Why does it do that? What, why yeah. does Matthew kick off— it's like Matthew's like, hmm, I get to write the opening line to the New Testament. <laughs> <laughs> yes. But even so, you know, okay, obviously that wasn't the case. But but seriously, like why does he begin his gospel that way? Is because we have to, he's saying this, I'm going to start from the very beginning. I'm going to teach you how to think about who the Messiah is and how to understand what it means to be among the saved, among his flock, among, among the, the covenant members. He's the Redeemer. He's Emmanuel. Guess what? He's from David. What does that mean? Well, David's from Abraham. What does that mean? And it draws us into a lifetime of learning as disciples, of understanding what the prophets, what Moses and the prophets proclaimed. Okay. Let's move. Let's move on. Let's move to a, a topic that's actually in our show notes. That This has been Rabbit Trails with Rob and Caleb. Okay. Um, we're going to go first to a voice message because that's what I want to do. Um, let's do it. Let's take a listen here. Now, I have edited this to try to bring it down to a minute and 10 seconds. Hello, Rob and Caleb. Uh, my name is Isaac. I've grown up observing Torah or, you know, living from a pronomian sort of uh, perspective for, I don't know, the last 15 years or so. And I've been, you know, as I become an adult, been uh, sort of examining each of the aspects of my faith. And one question I would really appreciate your insight on, the deeper meaning or the original language context of the phrases in the Torah that talk about these statutes are to be throughout your generations forever. Uh, emphasis on the forever aspects, you know, whether it's the uh, festivals, or I, I think perhaps circumcision is that way, uh, Shabbat, and, and so forth. So uh, any insight you give, you know, whether it's, can it only be translated as forever, you know, like until the end of time, or is it an idiom that could also be understood as being, you know, oh, only until it's uh, fulfillment or whatever. Is it a completely watertight argument for uh Torah observance, or are there sort of uh, other ways you could interpret those words? Thank you yeah. so can, much. Can I jump on that one? Well, I wanted to go first, but I'll let you <laughs> okay, go. Okay, you go. go. You go. No, no, no. You go first. You you requested to go. Well, the, where the uh, thank you, Isaac. Great, great, uh, great uh, uh, call into our question line. <laughs> and here's the answer machine coming back now. Um, the Bible answer machine. Bam. Bam. <laughs> that le'olam, the Hebrew word le'olam, means it's, right, olam is mostly world or something or age, and then le is a preposition put on it. So, right, le'olam usually translates forever or something like that. And it's used throughout the scriptures to mean basically, it seems like for the future, as far as you can see kind of thing. Um However, there are places such as, I think it's in Exodus, where the slave who wants to stay, even though the regular uh, law of, of having a, an Evid would be that he serves six years and then is free to go, 
that there's a there's an opportunity that the Torah has it that he can remain a slave forever, and there's a whole procedure to go through, and it means he will be a slave like Olam. And this, I, I think it might have been Luther who leveraged that point to say, see, we have to be careful. It doesn't always mean forever. Um, I take so I'll give my definition, and then I'll pack it back to uh, kick it back to Caleb. It means irrevocably by any other law. So Leolam in the case of Exodus means it's it's an irrevocable uh, uh, ruling. It's an irrevocable legal truth that now is in 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 uh, concrete, basically, or is in stone, and and it won't be it can't be budged by subsequent law. So in my opinion, the 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 Evid or the slave that becomes uh, part of the household forever, Le'olam, is is not uh, is not a candidate for the Jubilee release. Right. Yeah, that's absolutely. my view. That the Jubilee le- release will come, but but that he's he's Le'olam, so yeah, he stays. Yeah. It just yep. means irrevocably, irrevocably, and and we need Le'olam to mean irrevocably because. We see the same phrase in the Gospels, like what what does it mean to be to, to be with Yeshua forever? What does it mean that that he is a priest forever? Um, the people who want to say, "Oh no, Leolam has is really a finite amount of time," they need it to mean that because that gives them a footing in their imagination to posit and <laughs> and amplify or promote. An end of Tell or like a dispensational really kind of view of God's law. So the Tell, Sabbath, Le'olam. So they hey, need it to mean that. But in my view, go Rob, ahead, go stop Caleb. sugarcoating you, it. Go. Stop sugarcoating it, man. <laughs> <laughs> they need it. They need to to have that in their imagination, in their pretend time. <laughs> they, yeah, they they have to have it be that way. Right? Don't um, you think? I mean. Th- th- but I, like so in I Exodus I, three, God tells Moses, "This is my name forever, Leolam." I mean, it's like, okay, so if we're going to say it's finite, well, yeah. So he, his name's going to change at some point. God's name's going to change. The covenant's going to be done. I, I yeah, yeah, actually, so I, I do want to talk. I do want to just comment on the I, on because this has really been on my mind a lot recently, and and so this is probably another fairly decent, like fairly long rabbit trail, but. You know, just that notion of like looking at some of these apologists and listening to pastors and whatnot a lot, right? Because I I do that a lot. I listen to a lot of podcasts, listen to a lot of pastors teach and whatnot. And like, how can, how can these people, so like you said, they need it to be like that in their imagination. And and I guess the question that that I'm asking myself is how can people be so bought into something that is so clearly against scripture, right? And, and, and. Now I'm just looking at like the little nuances, like things that you would never think to yourself, like, well, I mean, this doesn't really matter, right? This is such a small thing. But we see like this system of religion that has been built up and it's all been to try to get rid of several things. And so you have to build a whole theology around it. And the thing is, is that it's gone through so many generations. We're talking about 1700 years of of theology being ingrained. So the person that, the pastor that's teaching today doesn't, have any notion that they're that it's in their imagination in in their mind instead they have bought they have accepted and are now and now are uh, believing living and teaching a theology uh, that has been passed down so many times that it's not even it's not even an imagination it is a system of religion now that has been accepted and so, um, this is uh, ultimately, I think that this is where uh, Reformation comes in, right? We saw the Reformation change the course of of Christianity in the 15 and 1600s, and now we're coming into you know uh, 2021 and and basically this time of what I believe is Reformation. We see this within the within the the church, people coming in mass, and I mean in mass. So much so that you have the main apologists, the biggest apologists in the Christian world now are having to um, are having to uh, respond 
and uh, use tactics to try to brush under the rug the the biblical you know the biblical truth that the Lord is bring is bringing to the forefront. Okay, that was quite a rabbit trail. Did you want did you want me to uh, uh, let you continue on, or are did you want me to go with the? Oh, forever? there's so much pinging in my brain right now. I mean, I'm thinking of your, your mention of the reformers interactions I've had with Catholics on X. Yes. I mean, and they're dug in. And now that, now that, and I've read, I've read the Vatican document. It's couples, blessing couples. But you see all the people that are trying to, what I've, I don't know if this is a new term, Pope splaining <laughs> to Pope splain. <laughs> so Pope splaining is when you see Catholic bishops trying to say, look, you don't really understand what the Pope is saying. He, you know, when in fact it's like gaslighting, you know, it's Pope splaining. It's like, no, this is unbiblical. The idea of blessing. Now you can, Yeshua says, bless those who curse you, pray for those who persecute you, etc. So you can pray for individuals, right? And you can bless an individual in, in, in prayer time. And what does that mean? That means you're asking God, you're interceding that God would bring their, them to repentance. You're not affirming their lifestyle, but to if you're going to bless a couple, if now the if now that couple is being recognized and you're seeking blessing for that couple, I don't see how that can happen without affirming the the state of of the couple's relationship. I, and I I think that's anti biblical uh, against the Bible. So, in any event, that was that's one thing. But you see the idea of. They're promote, they see the Catholic traditions as not traditions of men. They believe it, it's all from God. But what the, the link to the reformers that you're talking about is that that's now you have Catholics that are reeling because they disagree with the Pope. Right. And they're like, they're, they have a, a crisis of authority. So now they're, they're going to have to do the same thing that they were mad at the reformers for doing is like picking and choosing within the quote capital C church, as they imagine, my imagination, that's our main word for today. <laughs> uh, it's a, it's a crisis of authority. Like what happens when you don't like what the Pope says, right? I'm, um, well, you just go to your bishops then. And it's like, okay, so I'll stay within the Catholic church, but I just shift gears. But then it's selective because then you're going to have people that are Catholics that are saying, no, we got to, got to go with the Pope, not these bishops. So it's a crisis that's good. It's a good crisis because it shakes people up to have to go, wait a minute, where is the rock? Where's the bedrock here? Soon there will be a second pope in Avignon, and then there will be be another crisis of it, right? Um, okay. I want, I want to go back. I want to go back. Uh, First of all, this is the, so Jeff in the chat room, this is the biggest, uh, this is the biggest, um, rebuttal from people. Uh, to the notion that forever is forever, right? Uh, and he says, how do you handle Levitical alarms connected to discontinued temple decrees? So I think the temple's coming back. Now, people might, uh, people what might point... What, Rick, help me understand, what's a discontinued temple decree? Yeah, exactly. I, and, Did and I hear so that, that correctly? Yeah, that's, that's where, where I would have to ask questions. What do you mean by a discontinued temple decree? I don't believe that there are any discontinued temple decrees. Well, there's, there's, temper, there's times where the temple was destroyed. That's... Certain. I mean, uh, right. Jeremiah said the temple would be destroyed. Isaiah said the temple would be destroyed. But the covenant remained. And we know that the covenant endured because the what was revealed to Jeremiah that Daniel followed up on was that the land will keep her Sabbaths. Right. So that the nature of the exile and the destruction was framed by the enduring covenant promises. It wasn't an obliteration of the promises. It was shifting into curse mode. Okay, the covenant stipulates. Well, it's like you go default on, like, don't make your car payment. You know, what happens, right? It shifts into, there's a legal definition of what happens if you default on. Wait, 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 wait. This is a great analogy. And the reason why is because you know what? If you you come and, uh, you know, you, you get something taken away, if somebody comes and steals your car, guess what? You still have to pay the payment. <laughs> like you still, still got to pay, pay for it. It doesn't. It doesn't mean that your payment goes away. It means that your you don't have a car anymore. And it's just like the temple. If it, the temple was taken away by God because Israel rejected Christ, but that doesn't mean that the laws are done away with. We see the temple coming back. 
However, well, this and is Daniel, not point. Daniel prays, right. Daniel still behave his, Daniel's, we know from Daniel that his relationship to his, how he understands the covenant, how he understands his relationship as, as a, as a, as a, a Jew in exile who walks with God, it's still framed by the covenant. Right. And, and, you know, he's concerned about what he puts in his body, concerned about what he eats. He, he prays three times a day towards Jerusalem. Why? There's no temple there. Why? Daniel, how come, you know, no one, no other educated Jew went to Daniel. You know, I know you're wise and you're a prophet of God. But that's all done away I, with, man. I think you've missed something. The yeah. Leolams are over, buddy. You know, or or the, it says he prayed at the time of the the offering. Okay, so these are things that remind us, you know, and that's that's true. So my viewpoint is that we're in an, an extended exile, waiting for Yeshua to return. It's we're not in a. It's like an expanded Babylonian Babylonian exile. That's that. Okay, I'm gonna I'm going to respond now to Isaac. Uh, so maybe this will help Isaac. Uh, so the the passage that I think uh, Rob brought up, then his so I thought that this is possibly another rabbit trail. I thought about this for a few few uh, seconds. It's probably hogwash. It's probably not. Uh, it's probably wrong. And I'm sure I'll get corrected by Rob on this. However, I thought to myself, well, what if he? What if the slave continues to be a slave in in the kingdom? We see in Matthew five seventeen and following that there is least in the kingdom and great in the kingdom. Are there going to be people cleaning toilets in the kingdom? It's possible, right? I mean, we see Adam and Eve in what I would consider to be the 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 covenant, uh, you know, the kingdom before the fall. They're still having to garden. They're still having to take care of animals. There's, I mean, they're still working, right? They're working the land still. So for a split second, I thought to myself, well, maybe it does mean forever, but even if even if uh, we take Rob's definition here that uh, it it just can't, which I love by the way, the the idea that it can't be superseded by another law, that's great. However, I do think that olam oftentimes can mean forever, and I'll give you an example. If we go to Psalm one eleven, we'll read the whole thing because it's not that long. Praise the Lord! I will give thanks to the Lord with my whole heart. In the company of the upright in the congregation, great are the works of the Lord studied by all who delight in them. Full of splendor and majesty is his work, and his righteousness endures forever. So the first forever in verse three, the question that I would ask is, is this does this mean for all eternity, without without ceasing ever? No matter if the world ends or not, does is this forever a forever? And I think the answer is absolutely. He has caused his wondrous works to, re- to be remembered. The Lord, gracious and merciful, he provides food to those who fear him. He remembers his covenant forever. So does God remember his covenant forever? Now, some people are going to say, well, this is the new covenant. That's fine. I believe that all covenants are wrapped up into the, into the new covenant. And the stipulations for the new covenant are what? The covenant of Moses, right? The, co- the covenant of Sinai. Going on, verse 6, he has shown his people the power of his works in giving them the inheritance of the nations. The works of his hands are faithful and just. All his precepts are trustworthy. They are established forever and ever. What are established forever and ever? His precepts. To be performed with faithfulness and uprightness. How long do they go on? Forever and ever. He sent redemption to his people. He has commanded his covenant forever. Holy and awesome is his name. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. All those who practice it have a good understanding. His praise endures forever. And so Amen. the point here, yeah, the point here is simply this. You have all of these forevers coupled into one chapter. God's righteousness is forever. His covenant is forever. And the precepts connected to the, to the covenant are forever. Now, it doesn't matter what covenant you're talking about. The reason why is because the precepts for the new covenant are the same precepts for the Mosaic covenant. So the point is, is that David seems, I th- is one eleven written by David? I think it is, but not the point. The point simply is this. The psalmist here, whatever psalmist it is, is using the word forever in connection with God's holiness. And his holiness is wrapped up in his covenant and his precepts. All of these things his righteousness, his holiness, his precepts, his covenants, they're all forever. 
And so when somebody comes and says, well, those are old covenant things, I, I, I just, I, I think that there's a misunderstanding of the term old covenant. I've done a video on that, by the way, on pronomian. I hope yeah, that yeah. helps. Oh, there's also in Psalm 119, le olam Adonai devarcha nitzav bashamayim. Forever, O Lord, your word is established in the heavens. And, you know, but there, the move is, here's another move. If we think if we could use the jujitsu, not, I, I'm, I do not know jujitsu. Yes. I, I'm, let's, let's I use jujitsu just uh, as his experience continues. But um, if you think about moves, moves that happen when, you know, you know, okay, I don't like where this is headed. I don't like being confronted that I need, you know, that the Sabbath is still a thing because that that's like a headlock and I'm going to pass out kind of thing. So it's like, or whatever. So it's like, I need a move to get out of it. And, and one move would be, well, I'm not Israel. So sure, sure. It, it, his word is established in the heavens. It's a covenant with Israel. It's, 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 uh, uh, and maybe this gets into a little bit of the dispensation, like God has a, a covenant with Israel, but the church is a new thing, right? And so that's a move that a, uh, a Christian jujitsu uh, trainee might try to move, right? Another is, but that, so that's affirming that it's forever between God and Israel, but then trying to carve out a space for a person to say, you know what, I'm not part of that. I benefit from Christ's blood in a unique way that's not part of that other thing. And that seems to be a move that people will make. And then they feel like they can breathe with being not and not feel any kind of obligation to the law. Another move is kind of what I hear Caleb suggesting that people might make is like, oh no, wait a minute. That's that's all done away. Like it it was true. If I was born you know, 50 or 2,500 years ago. Yeah. I would have been under that also, but because I was born and became a believer after the cross, I'm in a new moment of history. And so all that's done away and that's just ancient Israel stuff. It doesn't apply to Jews or Gentiles. Jews need to become part of the church. And that's another move that kind of releases. It's, it's not the same move, but both try to create some breathing room so they can stay in the wrestling match a little bit longer, right? So they can, they can stay on the mat, but they're not, they're not, they're not, they're not uh, released yet. Uh, in my opinion, those, those are not sufficient uh, positions. They're, they're not survivable long run. There is a interesting question that has made me think now uh, and in the chat room, Kristen is asking about the fact that now we are a temple of the Holy Spirit. And so she's asking, does that mean that we will have a, uh, like a brick and mortar temple again? Now I've already responded that we believe that there will be a brick and mortar temple at some point. Um, however, that's not the point or that's not the question that I'm, I'm thinking of now. I would suggest that uh, people have always been who are part of the new covenant. Once again, we don't believe that I don't believe that the new covenant is time bound. So let's, let's, let's put it this way. Was Abraham the model uh, believer who's saved by faith, according to Paul in, in uh, Galatians 3, was Abraham a temple of the Holy Spirit? Now, I'm going to say, yes, he was. I think that, that the Holy Spirit indwelled people uh, then, just as the Holy Spirit indwells people now for salvation. So Paul tells us in Romans 8 that a person cannot be saved unless he has the spirit of Christ and the spirit of his father. What is Man, that? You can't that's the walk Holy Spirit. With God. You can't walk with God without the Holy Spirit. Right. Right? I mean, that's 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 the whole point of Hebrews 11 is saying, look, you know, Enoch, you know, Noah, Abraham, right? They walked with God. They they lived they were pleased pleasing to God. Well, you can't he, he, without faith it's impossible to please him. And faith is a gift of the of the Holy Spirit. It so I agree. Yeah, that that you can't. That's the problem. That's the, that's the problem of the church is a new entity at Pentecost or something. It's God's right. new, new plan. God, the church's plan B. He was you know Israel poor saps. They didn't get it. They thought you had to. They thought 
you know, that you had to please God by your works. I think that that's the worst move that the church, that, that believers have ever made. I think that we go back to the jujitsu analogy, you know, that move right there is something that the white belts do, but everybody's done it, right? Everybody has pushed against the person on top of them and then gotten arm barred. It just happens. It's what happens. And you get armbarred so many times that way that finally, after about a year and a half, you start going like this instead so that pe- so you don't get armbarred. But it happens time and time and time and time again. I think that every single person <laughs> in the past 15 years that's been in the church has essentially said, in one way or another, Israel and the church are separate. And most of them have gone as far as to say the church replaces Israel. And because of that, you have a, a slew of, of really unfortunate and really bad theology that I don't think is found in the scriptures. And the, here's the thing is that it, that part is not going away anytime soon. The, the, the notion, and the reason, once again, back to, to Rob's idea that, that you have to make these moves to try to you know, make the theology fit, right? Now I'm coupling both of our ideas, but you, you make all these moves to try to make this theology fit, basically, this is one of the big moves that you have to have. And the reason why is because it makes it so that the Torah, the the covenant is not really for the church. That's for Israel, not for us. But this also brings up, uh, you know, horrible replacement theology, which has been the source of persecution for the Jews. It's been, uh, I mean, it's just the source of a lot of bad theology, in my opinion. And uh, here's the thing is that even within the Torah movement, even within the movement of people who are coming back to a belief that we should be keeping the covenants, there's still this idea of that the the believers are separate from Israel, that Israel and and the church are separate. And so we're not actually moving away from this uh, in the way that we should be, even within the Torah movement. And that's unfortunate. Remember how, uh, back to Hebrews 11 how it tells, and I don't have it in front of me, but it says that Abraham and the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, they dwelled in tents um, because they were looking for a city whose foundations was God. Okay. Hebrews, right? Yeah, yeah. Okay. What that means is it's the same thing that back to Paul in Galatians, I think it's in chapter four, where he's taught, he says, Jerusalem above is our mother, right? That Sarah is our citizenship is from the Jerusalem above. That's why Daniel continued to behave the way he did, even in exile, because his citizenship was not defined by a brick and mortar temple. Right. It was defined by who we are as God's people, as, as the people are the temple of God, and and their citizenship is their relationship with God. But that, but because our citizenship is in heaven, in the heavenly Jerusalem doesn't mean that there's no physical Jerusalem ever right? or physical temple ever. It's a both. So, but I can understand if people think if they don't, if they don't realize that where their citizenship is as God, a part of God's people, if they associate it with the destroyed temple, well, they're going to just weep at the wailing wall. Right. Yeah. You know, I mean, um, which isn't even part of the temple. I mean, it's, it, but it, it, it's, Yeshua said, he said, didn't he say in, is it in Matthew 23? They're going to, you're going to recite to me Psalm 118. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. When you say that to me, remember that? I, I don't have the verse, but I think it's in, I think in Matthew 23. Um, it's similar. It's at the time where he's weeping over Jerusalem, but he, he says, your house is left to you desolate, which is the same language of, of the destruction in Jeremiah's time. And he, he cites Psalm 118. You're going to say to me, blessed, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Bless. And we bless, if you look at that whole context, we bless you from the house of God. It's there's, it talks of sacrifice, the festival offerings in Jerusalem. And how would that ever come fulfilled? If there's no earthly temple that is receiving Yeshua as king. Right. That, that's well, actually, my... that, 
that that goes hand in hand with Jeff's comment in the in the chat room. This is, I mean, this is a great point. He says it's an understandable, uh, it's understandably complex issue to navigate. For most of Christian history, there wasn't a nation of Israel. They were trying to figure out how to deal with the word Israel in the New Testament. That's true. I mean, I, I'm not saying that it's not complex, and 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 honestly, I I, I think that. Yeah, that's fair. That was, I mean, that, but that was before the destruction of the temple. The second temple era, and this gets back to Daniel, like Daniel 9, Nehemiah. Nehemiah 9 is an early second temple era text. And this, and you even go up to the time of the Maccabees. We just celebrated Hanukkah a few weeks back. The idea of who is true Israel was an issue that was uh, a hot topic between the different sectarian groups. They all had an, an agenda to push who they believed Israel was. Um, and, and if you just chart the Maccabean era of the Hasmonean dynasty, and you look at how they're, they're, they slip from priests to all of a sudden they're kings, expanding territory, forcing circumcision, they are, they are pushing for a definition of Israel that ultimately fails. I mean, Rome I, well, comes in and says, nope. And look, I, but, but hang on just a sec. I think that, the, I think that even more so even today, I mean, I'll, I'll be the first to admit, even with my definition of Israel, you, you have multiple definitions because there is a nation of Israel that is unbelieving and they are not part of, right. they're, they're not what the church becomes. And even in the scriptures, you have Israel then you have covenant Israel, like there's the the people who wander, who don't see, you know, they're not able to enter the land, so they're called Israel, but they're not part of the covenant, right? They die in the wilderness. But then yep. you have the language of the remnant of Israel, right? The, the people that always believe. And you have Israel, in Romans 11, it gets really weird because you have Israel as being this branch, but then Israel is broken off the branch if they don't believe, but they can be grafted back onto the branch if they do believe. Right. Yeah, so Paul, I mean, that's why Paul says, is it Romans nine? Not all Israel is Israel. Right. Like, exactly. like what is he? Well, come on, dude. <laughs> Thanks help a me lot, out. Paul. <laughs> help a brother out. <laughs> okay. I, this is, I mean, this is a, a conversation that I think could go on for, for days, but I, I think it's time to move. And the reason why is because we got 15 minutes left and Rob wanted to talk about one specific topic today. We haven't even gotten to it. Let's move to it. Which now, one? I'm not sure. I'm not sure how this is supposed to uh, be said. Is it Devon or Devon? I don't know. But I'm going to read. Balake. <laughs> hey, 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 Ron. Anyway, I'm going to um, I'm going to read this comment. Now, this is actually a this was actually a uh, voice message that came in. Now, I transcribed it because the, the recording was so bad that uh, it, it was hard to understand what he was saying. So I, I went through it several times and, and tried to type out what he, what he said. My question is this, is there a passage in the Old Testament that talks about being under the law? To me, it seemed like in Messiah Matters 452, you were suggesting that the prophet Daniel gave such a definition. If that is what you were su suggesting, is there such a passage that you could cite? Are there any other Old Testament passages that talk about being under the law? Rob? Awesome. Thank you. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I would say um, the curse, I would say first look, go to Deuteronomy. Is it Deuteronomy 28 or 26 or 27, 28, 29, where it's going over blessings and curses. So that text, end of Leviticus kind of thing. Um, I don't know. I don't remember the exact chapter, but it's like the end of Leviticus where it's talking about, look, it's just going to get worse. Like, <laughs> you know, it's only going to get, it's like a, a defiant child. It's like, look, I'm going to put you in timeout. And then the child starts like kicking the wall. Okay. If you keep kicking the wall, you know, something else is going to happen. It's going to keep getting worse for you. Right. But the idea is the parent is always there giving the appropriate discipline to the child to instruct the child in, in, you know, proper behavior, mature behavior, that kind of thing. Um, but in Daniel specifically, I mentioned Daniel nine earlier. It's a beautiful prayer. So I'd encourage everybody to read it if you haven't read it lately. He it's framed in like, he's like wondering what's going on. We're in, we're in exile. And, and it says that he, you know, it was revealed to him by the book of Jeremiah. He's reading Jeremiah and, 
he has this beautiful confession of the problem. And the confession is based basically, he says, we've transgressed your covenant and and all the curses of the law of Moses are on us. Alenu have come upon us, have been, I think in the Hebrew, it's have been poured out upon us. Um, or the curse, the curse, it's just singular, I think. The, the curse of the Torah of Moses is poured out on us. I think the Septuagint has come upon us. But the idea is that it, if something is upon you, it means he's basically saying we are under it. Like we are under. Now, to be under the law, though, there doesn't mean he doesn't mean he's under the covenant blessings right there. He means he's it's it's the the uh gravi gravitous consequences. Um the negative uh consequences of transgression. That's that's what it means in Daniel. And I think there's similar language in Nehemiah 9. Um Particularly in Nehemiah 9, if I remember right, he's talking about, look, we're, we're back in the land. We've got a temple being restored, and we're still slaves. Right. We're slaves in our own land. So that's where we realize that this idea of exile is – there's a spiritual exile. Israel can be in the yes. land. They can have a temple, and they're still spiritually slaves. They're still slaves. In exile, Paul's making the same point in Galatians, where he says they were they are in, they are, they slave away in Jerusalem, the Jerusalem below or the Jerusalem that now is, and and uh, Hagar, you know that whole thing. I think at the end of Galatians uh, chapter four, it's an image of like, and it's the same thing. Yeshua says not one of these, you know, they're looking how beautiful this temple is. He says not one stone's going to be left on another. And because it's like Yeshua sees the situation differently, there is a there is an enduring spiritual exile that it was not remedied by throughout the whole Second Temple period. Now God, through I believe the Maccabean reclaim of and cleansing of the temple, was God ordained that, and because Messiah was going to come to the temple, uh, Messiah was going to come to the temple and knock over the tables of the money changers and he was going to you know proclaim you know the truth from the temple his disciples would teach in that temple um but he would also come and say that it was going to be destroyed um and but this is all to be understood in my view in terms of the enduring un underlying enduring covenant framework that's the only way that any of this all is understood as um, enduring covenant terms and then the the blessing and the curses as part of that enduring covenantal context. So when Yeshua says that not one stone is going to be left on another, but then in another breath, he says, you know, you're going to say to me, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord to receive me back to the temple, though he's not speaking out of two sides of his mouth. He's not schizophrenic. They're both true because the pronunciation of the temple's destruction is a pronunciation of, of there's been transgression according to the Torah and the Torah. Therefore, this is what happens. And this is all because God is the father and Israel is his children and he corrects them. Uh, and he, he doesn't stop being their father. So, that, that's my thought on that one. The, the idea of spiritual exile, I think, is actually important there. Because the, the thing is, is that Israel can be in the land. Israel can have control of the Temple Mount. Israel can have a temple. And they can still be in spiritual exile. You know, we see that God is walking in the midst of Israel in the wilderness, right? He speaks with Moses face to face as a, as a friend, speaks with a friend, Exodus 33, 11, right? Now, um, so... God is is in the camp. He has a tent in the camp. Beyond this, the Shekinah glory, the Shekinah is 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 uh, over the like is telling them when to move. Right there's the 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 pillar of smoke moves the right so it rests over the the uh, the tent of meeting, and the, and the point here is simply that they're in exile. 
even though God's with them, even though God's in their camp, they're wandering in the wilderness and they're still in exile. Why? Why? Because they have not trusted in God. They're not part of the new covenant. And so that that uh, generation wanders. When John the Baptist c- goes out to the Jordan, I've argued in, in multiple writings that I think that the reason he goes out to the Jordan is because he sees Israel, even though they're in the land, even though they have a temple, he sees them as in spiritual exile. Now, granted, I will give that at that point in time, they were still under Roman rule. So he, it could be argued, well, he thought that because they were under Roman rule, they weren't free to, to serve God as they pleased. But ultimately, I think that he saw more than that. He saw a spiritual exile. He saw an exile where they, the Messiah had, had not yet come, at least that he had known about, until he goes out and starts baptizing. Now he sees the Messiah come. I mean, it could also be suggested that he saw the military leader that was going to overthrow Rome at that time. I think that what he sees is the Messiah who's going to come and, and wash away the sins of the, of the elect. Exactly. Here's a great example. And we can just stay in the Tanakh land to, to look at Solomon's temple. Look at the building of Solomon's temple and God's people and look at the destruction of Solomon's temple and the state of God's people. When they built Solomon's temple, the glory of God filled that building. The priests couldn't even enter. And they were just saying, right. Uh, or, you know, his mercy endures forever. Right. I mean, it was, and there was all sorts of sacrifices and it was a glorious, glorious I mean, no one's going to argue, well, that, that was, you know, it was no, it was, it, there was a, <laughs> there was a, a genuine spiritual revival. There was a work of this Holy spirit. Right. For the people uniting the people that um, in the construction of the, of the temple itself, that it was acceptable to God. It was acceptable worship by the Holy creator of the universe. You go to Isaiah chapter one, where it's like stale. Right. The people, the building's still there. Right. Right. They still have the same building, the same. They're looking physically in the same spaces. They're inhabiting the same physical spaces, speaking the same biblical Hebrew language that had been under Solomon. And what, and what does God it? say? Isaiah's there? like, Isaiah's like, it stinks. It's like, get your, your hands are filled with blood. And so what's the difference? It's not the temple's fault. Right. right? The presence of the temple is not what works repentance. What works repent and, and knowing biblical Hebrew does not work repentance. No having official priests who know how to offer sacrifices doesn't work repentance in the hearts of people. This reminds me of last night I was we were doing family devotions and we were reading first uh, Samuel four. And they're like, hey, bring bring out the ark. It'll save us, right? And I'm like, uh-oh, uh-oh, what's going on? And my kids are like, uh, Airplane yeah. going quickly. My kids are like, that's not what's what's going to save them. I was like, exactly, that's not what's going to save them. It, it, putting trust and whatnot into things that are not. And we see this even with like the, the once again, staying in Tanakh land, as, as uh, Rob has said. We see this with the, with the bronze serpent, right? Oh, God holy. tells them. God tells him. It reminds me of the, Catholicism, doesn't yeah, it? Exactly. Yeah, well, God tells it's him, true. make the bronze serpent, put it on a staff, and when you look at it, uh, you, you'll you'll live. And then what happens? They start worshiping the serpent. Come on. But then the question is, is, do we do the same thing in our own day? And I think that many times as believers, we do without even knowing it. We put ourselves on on the, the pole and look to ourselves much of the time instead of looking to God. So it's easy to point the finger when we're looking in retrospect to the people in the Tanakh, but ultimately it's part of our culture that we that we please self, right? We're self-pleasing. And so it's it's this worship of self in our day and age that I think is prevalent. And we don't and a lot of the time I think that we don't even realize it. All right. We are in yeah, the way I would put it is this is our true our true situation is we are in desperate need for Messiah's return. Yes. And if that desperation for Messiah's justice to come to the earth is not permeating your thoughts, if it's not permeating your life, then I would suggest you still have some investment in worldly institutions and hopes for worldly institutions that in the long run, you know, are, are, they're going to be crumbling kingdoms of men again. Once again, so, Rob just sugarcoating everything for us. Tell us how you really feel, Rob. Tell us how you really feel. <laughs> All right. Maranatha, man. Maranatha. 
So this has been the season 11 opener. I think I said season 12 when we started. It's not season 12, it's season minus 11. Minus one. Season 12, um, minus one. Yeah, exactly. I, I think that, uh, yeah, uh, I think we're going to end it there. Uh, we will be back now. Check this out. We're not doing Mystery Bible Theater 3000 for two weeks now. So you won't get one on Friday. You won't get one the next Friday. We're taking off until the beginning of January. Um, but we will be back next week with a uh, Messiah Matters. So send all of your thanks, questions. Yeah, thanks for the good content, Clint. We got some good content, I know, yes. from him. Yes, absolutely. Okay, so if you want to help with the good content, please do. Uh, resource.com C-H-E-G-G, at TorahResource.com. You can also uh, call our, com, our, our question line. 253-465-3205. It's 253-465-3205. Uh, and certainly, last but not least, do not forget to subscribe to this YouTube channel. If you've already subscribed, please go ahead, give it a thumbs up. I know it sounds weird, but it really does help us. All right. We hope that this conversation has done at least one thing. That is to glorify our great God and Savior, Yeshua the Messiah. Why? Well, you know why. Because Messiah matters. <laughs> <laughs>